Good morning, church. Sometimes that is the most exhausting part of the morning. Um, I'm glad to be home. I said that last week, and it was true last week. I'm, I'm glad to be home, and I'm glad to be continuing our series this morning that we've called Entitlement, um, with idol being kind of the highlighted thing. And the, the question that we're wrestling with is, as Americans, we're, we really value our rights and we hold on to our rights. And so what happens when our rights to do something come into conflict with Jesus's mission and what he wants to accomplish in the world? What, what do we do then? We're entitled to our rights, but Jesus is entitled to our service. So what do we do when those things are in conflict? That's the big idea of what we've been talking about. Um, and I want to begin this morning asking you about what are some of your traditions what are some things that you grew up either in church or not in church? What are, what are things that, that are traditional to you? And you can talk, like, I'm asking. I'm, this is not a hypothetical question, I'm asking. Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving basketball game? And, and who plays against who? Old guys against old, uh, Old guys against young guys, yeah. And who gets hurt? Everybody. <laughs> yeah, the old guys get hurt. Any other traditions? Wow, we're we're pretty uh, pretty liberal crowd here. We just make stuff up as we go. <clears throat> Our, we're 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 Christians, right? And as Christians, we want to base everything that we do on the Bible, right? So where in the Bible does it say to have a, a, crisp, or a Thanksgiving basketball game and that it's got to be old guys versus young guys? It doesn't. Matthew 29. <laughs> yeah. So it doesn't say that. So does that mean that if it's not in the Bible, we can't do it? No, this is kind of a, a it's not a, a thing. There, there are more ideas like that. There are traditions that we have. There are traditions that we value. There are things that are of value to us that don't necessarily come from Scripture. And that doesn't mean that they're wrong. We just need to understand the root behind what it is that we're celebrating. Because every tradition celebrates something, doesn't it? Or it ought to. Sometimes, sometimes we forget what they're celebrating and we just kind of keep doing the tradition and, and lose the meaning behind it. But traditions are designed to celebrate something. And when we remember the heart of our tradition and it continues to point back to Jesus, you've got fellowship and community and family. Those are good values that a basketball game uh, can, can bring out. It can also bring out ungood values like competition and anger and rage. <laughs> and so if we lose the heart of the tradition and what it's supposed to celebrate, it can become a bad thing. But we're going to be talking this morning about a very specific tradition. Um, and we've been going through the letter of 1 Corinthians as, as we've kind of gone through. And this, this series of entitlement for the last three chapters has been right on point. And I was tempted to take this chapter and attach it to the next series. But I realized that this, this really does get to the same heart of the issue. That, that what we're looking at here is, well, this is what my right is. And am I going to choose to stand for my right because it's my right and I deserve this? Or am I going to lay down my rights because I want to serve Jesus? Am I going to make, make Jesus the higher value? So we've got a fun conversation to have this morning. Um, and 
I'm excited to get to do it. But we definitely need to pray before we go. So let's, uh, let's pray together before we open up God's word. Jesus, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you that you speak clearly. That when you say, I have revealed myself in my son, Jesus, that we understand about you, that you love people enough to give of yourself to save us. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, and we thank you that we can be forgiven and have a good relationship with you, God, because of what he's done. And so, Lord, this morning we come with humble hearts seeking to learn from you the truth of your word. So, God, would you, would you please continue to make yourself clear? Would your spirit speak clearly through your word in your people? And, God, would you do the hard work of changing our hearts to look more and more like you? Father, for these, the, the things that we read in your word that, that run against what we want, Lord, I pray that you'd give us the extra grace to, to listen and to, and to follow through and to seek to follow you in it. Lord, it's in your name that I pray. Amen. So if you would open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, um, and if you need a story Bible, if you'd like a Bible to follow along with, it's on page 749 in these Bibles. 749, would you like one? Of course. It's on page 749. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 11. And I'd just like to remind you a little bit of where we started. We started in, because 1 Corinthians chapter 9 means that there are eight chapters, or, or chapter 11 means that there are 10 chapters beforehand. And those 10 chapters actually are really important to what he says here in chapter 11. In chapter 8, remember, he says, God gives us strength to build others up. If God is blessing us and giving us strength, it is not so that we can feel really good about ourselves and feel strong. It's so that we can turn around and use that strength to benefit other people. And then following Jesus means, in chapter 9, that I choose to lay down my rights for the sake of his mission. And I do that for myself. I lay down my rights for myself in personal ways. And I lay down my rights for the benefit of those people who are around me. Sometimes I know that it's right for me to do something. I know that I am able to do something and it's not a sin. But because of the neighbors that I have watching me, I refrain from doing it so that I can build others up. Because God gives us strength to build others up. And that's the context. I want you to remember that as we read these first verses of chapter 11. Because there are things here that are going to throw off all kinds of alarms in your head. This is a conversation that's happening in our culture regularly, and I want us to listen clearly to the Scripture and, and, and get through it. Because if there, there are things in here that rub against what you, what you are, are prone to feel, like I, I just want you to hang with me because I think that God has made something beautiful here. And, and sometimes you have to get through my own cultural understanding of what's happening to see the beauty of what God has created. So... All the preface, you guys can tell I'm nervous about this. We're just going to dive into it and read. I'm going to begin reading in chapter 10, verse 31, just to follow up. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 31, and we'll start in, verse, in chapter 11 as well. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of the many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me 
as I am of Christ. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. So we'll pause there. We've got enough to work through with just those few verses. So he's saying, that, remember this is a letter that the pastor Paul writes to the church in Corinth. And this was a pastor who had come in and started the church. He'd spend a number of years walking with them and teaching them. And then he had left. And he'd gone on a couple of other missionary journeys. He was kind of, he would start churches in every city that he went to. And he gets along down the road and he hears all these rumors coming back about what's going on in Corinth. And then he gets a letter from Corinth at, that are, they're challenging his teaching. They're challenging everything that he's taught them. And so he writes this letter, 1 Corinthians, one, to answer the rumors that he's hearing about them, and then to respond to the questions that they raised in the letter that they wrote. So as he's, as we're, this seems like it could feel like we're just kind of popping out of nowhere. Like, why is he talking about head coverings? That doesn't make any sense. It's probably something that they asked about in their letter, and he's trying to address it. But he's, he's got this framed in the idea of whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. God gives you strength to build other people up, not to build up yourself. And he says, you guys are doing a great job. You're keeping all the traditions that I left for you. You're doing the things that I told you to do. But maybe you've forgotten the things that the traditions celebrate. Maybe you've stepped away from the heart of the tradition. And I need you to understand, he says, every, uh, the head of every man is Christ. And the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. And that's a strange sentence. It's not in order. It, it, there is, there, he's not making a value statement. He's saying that this is, this is a, a structure of role. He, because if it was a value statement, we could, we could assume that maybe he would start with God. Does anybody else think that if you're going to talk about valuable things, like God should be at the top of the list? He doesn't start with God. He starts with man. The head of man is Christ. And the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. You'd think that that last one would be first, but it's, it's not. He, so what, he's not saying the same thing that I said with the, with the children. He's not making a value statement. Because God and Christ don't have different values. One is not worth more than the other. But they have different roles. God the Father sent the Son to be the sacrifice for sin. And then the Son sent the Spirit to, walk, to indwell us and walk with us through life and guide us through life. Like They have different roles. They've got different jobs, but they have the same inherent value. So when we say that the head of a wife is her husband, they're not saying that the husband is more better. It doesn't have a better value. They have the same value. They've got different roles. And they uses God to talk about that. See, here's something that I thought about. Have you ever thought about, there's, whenever you get on an airplane, I mean, I've done this recently, so it's kind of fresh in my head, but when you, ever, when you get on an airplane, do you ever think about the fact that there are two people piloting the plane? And when I was younger, I thought like, oh, it's just, it's got to be that complicated. Look at all those buttons. It's got to be so complicated that it takes two people to fly the plane. But this is modern times. Like, we, we can get cars to drive themselves. 
Why can't we get planes to do it? And so realistically, it's actually feasible for a person, a single person, to fly an aircraft by themselves. A big, one, that one seat could be empty and the person could fly. So why is it that there are two people in the cockpit of every commercial flight coming out of America? In case one of them dies in the air? Yeah, if, if one guy goes down, if one guy gets sick, we've got somebody sitting right next to them who can pilot the plane. They call them pilot and co-pilot, but they both can fly the plane. They're equal in value. They're both equally qualified to get you on the ground safely. But they play different roles. One's the pilot, and he calls the shot for this flight, and the other one's the co-pilot, and he helps. And then they flip. They, they can do it. They both can do both. And something else that I learned that was interesting, like they won't even eat the same food. If they order, they order separate meals and they won't eat the same thing in case one of them gets food poisoning, the other one is less likely to get the same kind of sickness. Like they, they, they watch each other. They, they are on a team together because they have something they want to accomplish, which praise the Lord is to get me to Israel alive and get me home alive. And the people who are godparents to my six children say, amen, thank you for... <laughs> They have a mission and they're working together for it. They have the same value. They both can fly the plane. They just have a different role. And so he says, the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. The head of Christ is God. Same value, different rules. He says, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. Now, the, I've got two questions that I wanted to ask of the text here. And the first is, why would men cover their head? If, if people are coming into a church service in, in, in the first century in, in Corinth, what is it that they're, they're doing? Why are they wearing, is it just like to keep the sun off of their head? Because I wear a hat all week to keep the sun off my head. I don't have hair to protect me. So is that what they're doing, or are they doing something else? Are they just wearing a ball cap because they think it looks cool, and that's just what they do? The reason, there, there's kind of two symbolic, uh, or there's kind of two big things why Roman men would wear a hat. The first is there's kind of some indications that um, in pagan rituals, they would put a shawl over their head to pray to their deity. It was, it was, a, a, it was kind of a pagan uh, a pagan thing, and that might be what he's talking about. But the other thing I think is a little bit more significant. You see, we've talked about over the last couple of weeks how there was a system of slavery in the Roman world. And it's different from our understanding of what slavery was because it was not uncommon for slaves to be able to save up money and buy their own freedom. And in the day that you bought your own freedom, in the day that you had worked and saved and, and you made yourself, you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps and you got to the day that you could put the cash down on the counter and said, I'm a free man, they'd give you a hat. And you got to wear this hat that said, you're a free man. And so they wear it, obviously, as a sign of pride. Like, I worked hard for this. I, this wasn't just handed to me. I was disciplined. I saved my money. I worked hard. I gave honor to my master. And I was able to buy my freedom. And now I wear this hat to show that I'm free. And so when he comes into church, the attitude that Paul's addressing is that pride. When you come into church, are you coming to church knowing that you have made yourself 
and that you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps and you got it all together and you did what was right? Or are you coming and saying, no, I'm here to worship Jesus? Would you remember with me that Paul wrote just a few chapters back in chapter uh, 7 that if you're, if you're a slave and you come to Jesus, stay a slave unless you have an opportunity to be free. If you, if you come to Jesus and you're a freed man, you are a slave to Christ. So we kind of went over that, and it didn't really rock our world so much, but that little sentence in chapter 7 would have blown their mind. What do you mean I'm a slave to Christ? I've got the hat. I've got, I carry the cart. I'm a freed man. I worked hard. No, 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 no. When you come in, you're here to worship Jesus. He's your master. He's your Lord. Take your hat off. You're not free. The man of every, or the head of every man is Christ. We serve him for his pleasure. And so when we read that, we might think, you know, okay, well, you take your ball cap off when you go into church. But when they hear this, like this is actually causing anger in their heart. A man should take off his hat when he goes in to worship. Ugh. What do you mean? Like this is a symbol of pride. It'd be like for, for a veteran of war who wears their hat or what war they wore in. Like take that off. Like you're, you're, you're a soldier for Jesus when you come in. But I fought, I bled, I lost friends in that battle. Yeah, but Jesus wants you to have, what Jesus wants to have your allegiance. So it's a big deal when he says, guys, take your hats off. We don't see it so much, but it's a big deal. And then the other question, the second question is, why would women uncover their heads? So that begs the question of why would they cover their heads? The covering in, um, in the Roman world was just a sign that they were under the protection of somebody. So young women would cover their heads because they were under the authority of their father. So their father's taking care of them. Their father's responsible and helps them do all of their bank dealings and all of those kind of things. When they get married, they wear the uh, head covering because their husband is the person who has authority. And, and they are, they're under the covering. They're under the protection of their husband. So the women in Corinth were coming into church and taking that, they apparently were wearing it during the week because when they come in, they take it off. So what are they trying to communicate when they take that off? Would you remember in the same chapter, in, in chapter 7, Paul writes to the women in Corinth, he says, women, you shall not divorce your husbands. Remember, they, want, they, had, they felt like they had come to this idea that they were so spiritually mature that they were like the angels, which are neither given or taken in marriage. And so they were kind of, they were, they were abstaining from sexual intercourse and they were acting like they were divorced because they were pretending like this world is over and I'm already in the next one. And they've, they've, they've left behind. And he's saying, look, when you come into church, keep your head covered. You're still married. I'm telling you to stay, to invest in your marriage. It's a worthwhile investment. It's a picture of Christ in the church. And keep your covering on because you're still married. What would it communicate, church, if, if ladies, as you walked in, you took your wedding ring off and put it in your pocket when you come into church? It's, it's a very similar kind of idea. And I just want to point out that he's, that he's saying if, if a woman prays or prophesies in her, in, 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 with her head uncovered, like he's, he's saying, like, he's not saying that's the wrong thing. He's saying that's what's going on. Like women are praying in church. That's not a problem. That's part of your worship gathering. But he's saying if they do it with their head uncovered, they're saying I'm available 
because I've, I've, I'm dating Jesus or however it was that they were putting him, they've, they've crossed a line here. All right? We kind of tracking? That's a lot of background information to digest in just a couple of sentences. Um, the question for, for how we apply this is, do we celebrate those who have a different role? If I know what my job is, if I'm the co-pilot or the pilot, can I be confident enough in what my role is to celebrate the person who has a different role? And I see this in marriage, for sure. I see this also in churches, in local churches. Grace, we, we are very, we're unique. We're situated on this plot of land, and, and God has called us to do something with this that is unique from every other church in the city. But I'm thankful for Good News Church down the street and Mario Valella and the way that he preaches the word. But he's got a different mission. Like, we've got the same mission, but he's got a different expression of that. Our role is different. I get to sh walk shoulder and shoulder with all of you, and I know all of your names, and I know how to pray for each of you by name throughout the week. And he's got so many folks that he can't keep track of it. He's got to hire somebody to do counseling and things like that. And I'm not beating up on him at all. He's got a different role. Can we celebrate thing people who are called to do things differently than us? Can we celebrate people who have a different role? Let's continue reading. For if a wife, in, in verse 6, excuse me, for if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, a woman is not independent of man, nor man of the woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. We'll pause there. So we've been talking about this tradition of head covering. And I think the big idea is that Jesus shines new light on our traditions so that they reflect his truth. He reminds us of the things that he wants our traditions to celebrate so that they reflect his truth. In the same way that the moon gives no light of itself, our traditions in and of themselves are dead. But when they reflect the truth of God's word, then they shine bright and give light in the night, in a dark place. So Jesus shines new light on our traditions so that they reflect his truth. And so this new light that he shines isn't something that he's just making up. He's reminding us of the, of the way that he created things from the beginning. That's why we read from Genesis chapter 2 this morning, that when God had formed Adam, he gave Adam a job. <laughs> he gave Adam an impossible job. He said, hey, go name all the animals and see if you can find a helper. Who's going who's gonna, to who's gonna help you out? And dog might be man's best friend, but he's not good enough to replace the woman. <laughs> So Adam goes through and he names all of the animals. And he's like, these animals just aren't going to cut it, God. Like, I, this is before sin. This is before anything had broken in the world. And it was not good for man to be alone. And so God took part of Adam and fashioned Eve. And so woman was made from man at the beginning. 
to be a helper to him. Same value, but different roles. Not that they can't, because what I know is this. I know that in the absence of a good godly man doing the right thing, women will do a great job. When things are broken in the world, I see women who step up with an immense strength. It's not that women can't, it's that they have a different role, and in in the way that God designed for it to work, they shouldn't have to. If a man will lead well, then a woman can flourish in doing what she was designed to do. So this new light that Jesus shines on our traditions is a renewed commitment to the design of the world, the way that God intended for things to be from the beginning. He's arguing here from Scripture that they would be familiar with. He says, look, you, you know the story. You know that Eve was taken out of Adam, that woman was made from man to be a helper to him. But you also know now that man comes from woman. Who has a mom? Come on. This is the easy participation. Who has a mom? <laughs> I know it's tr- everybody got your hands up. Men, women, everybody comes from woman now. We're not independent of each other. We're on the same team. The goalie need not be upset at the striker or the forward because the forward gets to score goals. And the, the, the person who's scoring the goals, the striker ought not to be think that they're so high and mighty because they get to score the goals because if there isn't somebody guarding the net, it doesn't matter. The goalie, the defense, and the offense, the goalie and the striker need each other in order to play a successful game. They have the same value. They're on the same team, but they have different roles. And should one think that they could get along just fine without the other, just wait and see. It's more difficult. It's more challenging. It's not the way that things were designed to be. And I just want to point out, because this struck me as I was going through this week, um, for a man ought, this is verse 7, for a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. That sentence, I wrestled with that for a while, and I just want to point out that he's not saying that, the, that women are not made in the image of God. He's saying women are the image of God and the glory of man. We also read in Proverbs chapter 12 that, that the crown of a man is a righteous wife. He has a good reputation. So, men, husbands, understand. You are the God-appointed spiritual leader of your family. God-appointed. Mount Sinai, fire, smoke on the mountain. That God says, you're the spiritual leader of the family. I'm making you responsible for that. And guys, it's easy to forget when you're at work and you got stuff going on and the kids are yapping and you're just trying to eat because you're hungry, you're hangry, it's getting bad. You're the God-appointed spiritual leader of your family. Remember. And wives, your husband will never thrive without your caring support. It doesn't matter how many goals he scores at work. If, if, if the defense isn't getting played in the home, then it's not going to matter. At the end of his life, yes, he will have worked hard and achieved much. But at the end of his life, he'll look back and say, I wish I had invested more in my family. Husbands, just because you're the leader doesn't mean that you don't need your wife. 
Like we were designed to work together, equal in value, different in roles, co-piloting the plane. So the question is, are we learning our role for you, your individual role, whatever your role is, whether you're single or married or um, you know, young, old, are we learning our role from Jesus and how to play it well? Because there are a lot of different voices in our world that want to teach us and tell us and rail against our roles and tell us different ways to do things. And it's easy to hear the loudest voices, but I'm inviting us to lean into the whisper of God's truth. Are we learning our role from Jesus? And are we learning how to play it well from him? Let's continue just a little bit more. I'll just read, and all things are from God. Verse 13, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. So he's given a spiritual reasoning based upon Scripture, and now he gives kind of a reasonable a reasoning, um, a logical reasoning from their culture. He says, Romans, you guys are Romans, you have a gut reaction. If a woman has short hair, you don't like it. Like, that's just a cultural value for you. And, and you know that if a woman has long hair, you do like it. Like, that's just how your culture is worked up. You never see women with short hair in any of the mosaics in, in the Roman culture. It just wasn't really a thing. So you, you value that. So... I'm going to take this cultural value that you have in your Roman world, and I'm just going to copy and paste it into the church because that's an easy, an easy way to do it. Like This doesn't get to the point of it because I've already explained the spiritual truth of it, but this is just logically. You're going to throw a fit about that? Like You do this already all week long, and you get to church, and you pretend like it's, you've never heard it before. But what I'm telling you is just, just do it. Like Stop pretending like this is complicated. And, and this is probably my favorite one of my favorite verses is that if anybody has a mind to be contentious, if you want to argue about this, we don't practice that. If you want to be contentious, if you want to pick this apart, if you want to fight and bicker about it, I'm not playing your game. I don't play that, and neither do any of the churches. That's not our habit. We are not a contentious people. Church, <laughs> sometimes we need to remember this. We are not a contentious people. People brought into the grace of God by the peace offered by Jesus. And so, however it is that we choose to apply our traditions, as we seek to see our traditions in the light of Jesus' gospel, to reflect the truth of what that is, don't be contentious. That's not the nature that we were brought into. It's like dripping water. If you want to be contentious, just have a drip of water in the sink. Drives me nuts. And sometimes I'm afraid that that's the voice that the world hears from the church. Oh, you guys are still fighting about that? We know everything that you're against. We get it. And it's a shame when we were left here to proclaim the truth 
of the glory of grace that Jesus came into the world that he might save sinners and that that's the message that we have to share with people and all they know is what we're against. If you have a mind to be contentious, take it somewhere else. Are we focused on Jesus' mission or on protecting our rights? Because Jesus shines new light on our traditions so that they reflect his truth. Do we celebrate people and organizations that have a different role than us but have the same mission? It's not our mission, it's Jesus' mission. Are we learning our role and how to play it well from Jesus, or are we listening to the voices on the radio or on YouTube? Are we focused on Jesus' mission or on protecting and exercising our rights? Let's pray together. again for listening. We hope you've been challenged, encouraged, and helped by God and His Word. If you want more information about Grace Church of Ocala or would like to get in contact with us, please visit our home on the internet, ocalagrace.org. And if we haven't met yet, we hope to talk with you soon.